Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, good morning. How's everybody today? So good to see you today. And uh, just like that video showed, we're talking about the will of God today. And so as a, a form of intro, let me just cover a couple of things. Uh, uh, first of all, tomorrow ends our 21 days of prayer, fasting, and meditation. I hope you have uh, been engaged with this. I hope you found it been, to be beneficial, and I hope you've been blessed. Uh, I certainly have, and in fact, I was reminded just yesterday because I started off my day with a, with a meeting over here for leadership, and it w- went from, from one thing to the next, and I missed my journaling time. And then last night, the wheels fell off the bus. And so the Lord subtly, gently, lovingly said, yeah, that's kind of a journal thing. And so uh, I'm learning with you, hopefully, that uh, prayer, fasting, and meditation uh, is the key to heaven's best for our life. For you personally, for your family, for your, uh, for your career, your business, uh, for the church. And so I, I want you to be, become all of us prayer warriors because God desires to move in your life, to reveal himself in your life, and to do great things. I hope you've seen answers to prayers, and I'll put this plug in. If, if God has done great things through this month in prayer, now please uh, let us know. We'd like to, to capture that on video, a testimony about how prayer has impacted your life. Now, to kind of let you know what, how I feel that we... we typically look at prayer. Most of us have flown commercially. And when we fly commercially, commercially, right before you take off while you're out on the tarmac, they they, uh, are so kind and and, and they tell you about some provisions they've made for us free of charge, you know, to kind of encourage you. One of them is the oxygen mask and the other is the flotation device under your rear end. I don't really get the flotation device if I'm flying like to Atlanta. We've obviously gone in a wrong direction. Uh, show me a seat that'll bounce me out of a cornfield. Show me a seat that's a parachute. I'm in. And then secondly, the oxygen mask. If, if that thing falls out, you just need to be praying. You just, if the thing comes out, you're going down, you know. And, and so sometimes, though, in our life, that's how we view prayer. Oh, we're delighted it's there for us, but we hope we never have to use it. And that's unfortunate. Because God has provided tool, uh, prayer as a tool for us to engage with him, to dialogue with him, to tell him our needs, our wants, our desires, and to hear his will for our life. Now, last week we started talking about the will of God, and we're going to get into that this week and a little bit next week because it's enormous. And so to get us there, we're reminded that the disciples obviously uh, observed Jesus praying and they were impressed. One, partly because this is like God incarnate, God in the flesh, and and he's talking to God the Father, and and he saw fit, he saw it as important or significant in his life, and his prayer apparently looked much differently than their own, and so they, I guess, chose a a representative, a disciple, it says that, that after Jesus had ceased praying in that place, a disciple went to him and said, teach us how to pray. And so what we call the Lord's Prayer, we've talked about, is actually a uh, disciple's prayer guide. This is Jesus' template for his disciples. Sure, those first 12, but also if today, if you are a Christian, you are a disciple. And so this prayer template or model is for you. And so that being said, and we, we look at it in Matthew 6, it's located in Luke 11, but in Matthew 6, in King James, which is the most common way that we may have memorized it, it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, we're going to finish the will of God in part today. And we're going to finish the whole prayer next week. And so, let's talk about it. We've learned already in this amazing little disciples prayer guide. We've learned and been reminded that when Jesus saves us, we are adopted into a new heavenly forever family. God becomes our Father. Jesus said, pray like this, fellas. We're in this thing together. You're with me. I'm with the Father. That means you're with the Father, our Father. It's the family of God. 
Uh, secondly, we notice that the, the, the holiness of God. It's our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Jesus said if you're going to have a relationship with the Father, you need to know who he is. He is your Father, but he's, he is sacred and set apart and sanctified and different. So hallow his name. Uh, honor his name. When you, when you use his name, be reverent about it. Thirdly, we saw we were introduced to the kingdom of God. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And we talked about at the end of that that our ultimate prayer in life we saw it from the very uh it's the very last prayer in the very last verses of the very last chapter of the very last book in God's word in revelation we see a prayer about thy kingdom come John the revelator speaking with the resurrected Jesus Jesus says I'm coming quickly here's the prayer it's next to the last verse in the whole bible John the revelator says even so Lord come quickly now, there's days, we all have days when we like the idea of a quick and sudden and now return of Jesus. I just noticed I, over here, a mother, okay, baby do. And, and when I say Jesus coming back, you're wanting to have that baby, all right? You'll be wanting to have it more in just a couple of months. Now, here's the thing. It's hard sometimes. I said last week, if you've got a, a lot of unfulfilled goals or dreams in your life, this sudden return of Jesus for the church is a little bit difficult to, to embrace. So I shared that. So then on Sunday night at the prayer meeting, I had a, a couple uh, came to me and, and they said, it was Dan and Josie, and they said, uh, we got to tell you about Hadley, their little girl. So she's not worried about Jesus coming back. On a regular basis, she says stuff like this. So if I wreck my bicycle real bad or bump my head real bad, does that mean I get to go on to heaven? Because I'm ready to go right now. All right, isn't that beautiful? She's four. She'll lose that when she turns 17 because she'll want to get married and all that mess. Go to the prom, joke, okay? And then if you want a boy's perspective, I had another uh, set of parents, Mike and Natalie England, and they'll give you the boy's perspective. Two weeks ago, they're... Their son went to Sunday school, and, and Cher Stallings was the teacher. And he says, teacher, you need to teach me fast about Jesus because I got to get to the monster trucks. <laughs> so in his little world, Jesus can come back anytime as long as it's after the monster trucks. Okay? Now, prayer, I would encourage you. If you don't know any kid, have any children in your family, you find some, man. They'll teach you. Just this week, I took Juliana to school, my granddaughter, and and, I, and she's sitting in my lap. She was just real close and real cuddly that day. And we went to, to, to get some holy bird at the Chick-fil-A. And she was sitting on my lap. I said, you want to pray or you want me to pray? She said, I want to pray. I said, okay. This is what she said. Dear Dodd, she said, thank you for my chicken minis and my fluke cup. And then she said, let me have a good day at cool. And then she said, thank you for making my popo love me so much. And thank you that I love my papo so much. Boy, I was just squeezing tighter and tighter. And she said, amen. I said, that was beautiful. This couple behind us said, I heard the lady say, did you hear that little girl pray? I said, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm telling you, out of the mouth of babes, find you some children, and they'll teach you some theology. They'll teach you how to know God better because they don't have all the reservations, inhibitions, worries, and confusion in their life. So let's talk about the will of God. Uh, we've all wondered about the will of God. You have, I have. Maybe uh, when things uh, uh, happen in your life that, that you didn't prefer or desire, you'll wonder, God, where are you? And how is this the will of your life? And maybe when you just look at the big old world out there and you see the chaos and the trouble and the confusion and the hurt and the sickness and the suffering and you say, God, how are you in charge? If you're a sovereign God, if you're omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere at all times, and yet this stuff is going on, I just can't seem to wrestle it down and understand the will of God. Now, sometimes the will of God is very easy to discern right when you have your baby when somebody has their baby the first time and they hold that baby this love just 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 arise arise it rises up it just arrives to go with the baby and then you have your second baby and, and the love's not divided it's multiplied and, and 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 it's just things in life happen that way where you can you say that's the will of God that's what the will of God looks like but then there's other moments when when it's just really hard to wrestle down when we don't understand and 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 we say, God, why, why is it this way? 
okay? And, and you begin to ask questions. Maybe you haven't, but you've heard it asked. If God is so good, then why does evil exist? Did God create evil? Did God create the devil? Did God create hell? Did God, does God allow that because he created it? He ordained it? It's part of his sovereign will? If you've, have you ever heard that question or wondered about that? It's a good question, okay? Well, there's answers to those questions. In, in its simplest form, God created perfection. God created relationship. God created love. God created holiness. God created this world. And at the same time, God saw fit to allow an uprising in all of that perfection that he created. And out of that uprising arises a fraud, a failure, a fake, an imitation. That's under the perfect will of God. And that's what we're going to kind of see in a nutshell today. Satan is the father of all lies. When he speaks, he speaks lie because that's his, his native language. That's what scripture says. He, he cannot create anything. He can only replicate and distort because he is that fraud, that fake, and that failure that God allowed to uh, happen in our life. And so then another question comes up, well, then why does he do it that way? I mean, could he not have in his perfection created everything perfect? Could he not have created it and still achieved the same amount of glory, which is his end goal, and not had the devil? Man, wouldn't it be cool to live in a world and not have the devil? You know what I'm saying? Well, that world's coming. Jesus is coming back. He's going to fix it all. And the devil will be gone. And we'll live like it was pre-fall in the garden, okay? That day is coming. But why do we have to go through this whatever 6,000, I'm a young earth believer, what, this 6,000 years of life existence with the devil? Because he just messes everything up. I got, I've got people in my life that are the devil incarnate. You got them? You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's a boss. Maybe a family member. It might be, might, it might be uh, somebody at church. I don't know. Where the devil just seems to uh, just uh, take over their life. And, that, and they live, it seems like, for the devil. So why does this happen? Well, first of all, God allows this to happen because this is, this is his universe. We need to be reminded of that sometimes. The video talked about my will and, and God's will. And we talked about last week uh, when we say thy will be done, we say my will's got to go. But sometimes we raise ourselves up and think I've got a better plan. No, you don't. You may have a better plan, but you don't have a universe. It's God's universe, and he can do what he wants to do. And when we start questioning the integrity and the character of God because of something that we don't understand or that we don't like, we become just like Job. And Job was a righteous man that God allowed bad things to happen. He begins to question God, and you can read it. There's a place where it's as if God says, Job, it's time for you to put your big boy underwear on because I got some questions for you. And so we have to be very, very careful because this is God's universe, and he can do what he wants. Number two, God's glory is God's end game. God's ultimate goal for him is his glory. Now, don't get me wrong. In, in achieving his ultimate glory... Your good plays into the occasion, but your personal good is never, never is above God's glory. So God's plan, even though it's hard to discern, God's will, even though sometimes it's difficult to know, is his glory and then ultimately your good. So to, to understand God's will for me, because I'm not that bright of a person, I like to trace God, track God in what he does. And, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of look at the storyline of God, of how he reveals his nature, his character, his being to us. And in doing that, I hope that it will help you. It certainly helped me in knowing the will of God. First, I want to talk about the umbrella policy of God's will, the overarching will of God. It's the perfect will of God. God has a perfect unblemished flawless will and it reaches over everything and it never changes it never moves God even testifies about his perfect will in Genesis when he creates everything he's not bashful about it and I think it's kind of interesting in Genesis in the creation account six times God looks at what he did he said whoo that's good and then he finishes up one time and he says it's very good this is God speaking 
through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit into the heart of Moses who wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And God says about his own personal creativity, he says, it's good. It's good. Man, that's good. That's good. That's good. And that's good. It's very good. Now, that's what the perfect will looks like. All good in the hood. No brokenness, no death, no sorrow, no sickness, no devil, no evil. It's good. That's how he created it. And that's the overarching will of God, which is perfect. In Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul kind of weighs in on this. And he says in verse 19, because what can be known about God is plain to them. Plain to us, to you, to me, to people. And it says, because God has made it plain to everybody, to them. Verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, his, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made so people are without excuse. God says through Paul in Romans, he says, listen, I am, I am showing you. I am, I am revealing myself. God says, I'm revealing myself, my perfection, my perfect will to you. And, and I demonstrate it through creation itself. You don't have to go far. This morning I got a picture on my phone of the sun coming up over the church. And it was, it was God's glory over the church. And you don't have to look far. You can find places where God reveals his greatness, the nature, his divine being to you personally, to the point, to the end, that the end of your storyline, at the end of your life, Scripture says you will be without excuse. You see, sometimes people say, well, I, you know, uh, Joel, you were raised in a Christian home. You had a, you had a better gig than I did. So obviously, you know Jesus. You've given your life to Jesus. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wasn't taught as a child to know about Jesus. And so we've got a different deal. At the end of the day, Scripture says we're all without excuse because God reveals himself to each person and we're held accountable for the revelation that he's given us. Now, his perfect will is therefore demonstrated in the very introduction of himself to the world in Genesis in the creation account. His perfect will then, all right, listen, is immutable, unconquerable, and unchangeable. His perfect will demonstrates his nature and the character of his being. But it doesn't stop there. You see, in that perfect will, he also now demonstrates his perfect love toward the object of his affection. And I want you to know you are the object of God's perfection. You, every single one of you, and your preacher included, is a particular part of the perfect will of God. I just like saying that. I hope you like hearing that. You need to embrace that. In fact, just say, I'm part of God's perfect plan. Not convinced, apparently. I want you to know, you, I'm telling you. You are part of God's perfect plan, and if you were not part of God's perfect plan, you would not be here. Regardless of how you live your life, regardless of how maybe you pursue God or don't pursue God, regardless of how you've allowed God to use your gifts or not use your gifts, you're still part of God's perfect plan because all of existence exists because of his perfect plan. And so God now wants to demonstrate and reveal his perfect plan for you in a deeper, richer, more meaningful, more intimate way. This is really good. I want you to hear me. God, the God of the universe, the whisperer of existence, the one who came to this earth and died on a cross to save you, the one who gives you breath every day to breathe, that God wants to reveal his will to you. You don't have to wonder about it. He wants you to know his will for your life. So how does he reveal that? Audibly. I've said before, I, God's never spoken to me audibly. He may speak to you audibly. I've told people before, if you're, in a, if you're in a group context and you say that God spoke audibly to you, then you should have a witness because if it's audible, other people would hear it. But when God speaks to your soul, I don't hear very well. I, I, I have some trouble hearing. I joke about this because Kendra can get my attention. Joel! And then I say, yeah. 
you know, like crisis mode. She's just cut a femoral artery or something. And, ah, yeah! And she goes, what happened to the volume? You know? And so I, I, I joke about that. And so I can't, I partially hear it or I mess it up. Listen, when God speaks to the core of your soul, to the center of your being, it's much louder than audibly. There's no mistaking. There's no interruption. You get it. Now, whether you respond to it or not, it's a different story, but you will get it. So let me share just a few ways that he reveals himself to you. First of all, you want to know the will of God for your life? Get in the word of God about your life. You want to know the will of God for your life? Get into the will of God about who he is and how he wants to be part of your life. Chuck Swindoll, who's pastor and a writer, he says it best like this. The better you know the word of God, the less confusing is the will of God. The better you know this, the word of God, the less confusing is the will of God. That's very true. It's why we're in this season of prayer, fasting, and meditation. I want you to get into God's word. It'll help you. It'll help us. It'll help us all track with God. Secondly, you can determine the will of God for your life by the wisdom of godly counsel. The wisdom of godly counsel. Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in the abundance of counselors there's victory. Let me be very clear. I said the wisdom of godly counselors. There's a whole lot of world out there that has some counsel for you. There's a whole lot of world out there that wants to tell you what you should and should not do. Be very, very careful and very, very prayerful and discerning about who you consider to be godly counsel. And let me also say this. If somebody offers you godly counsel and you refuse it, that's a very foolish decision. And, and you won't find the will of God in being disobedient to the wisdom of godly counsel or the word of God. Thirdly, I want you to see that you can discern and learn the will of God for your life through the ways God provides by the Holy Spirit. Through the ways of God provided by the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The ways of God are revealed to you through the Holy Spirit. When you are born again, when you have a spiritual rebirth, when you're saved, when you're adopted into God's forever family, the Bible says the Holy Spirit indwells you. The Holy Spirit seals you. He marks you as a deposit or earnest money for the greater kingdom to come. And so I want you to know that you can begin to learn the will of God simply by learning the workings of God, excuse me, the ways of God via or through the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, the working of God through his church. Now, I don't pretend that this is a perfect church, but I do shout and proclaim it's a great church. I do say without apology that God has his hand on this church and that in the last seven years, the church has changed from, um, from about 40 or 50 people to about 450 people a week. I want to say that God has saved people and we've seen people baptized. We're sending people around the world. We're in this new building. This is a, God has his hand on this place. There's no doubt about it. It's a special place. It's anointed by, by the Spirit of God. And so if you want to know the will of God, get faithful to his church and watch God work in his church. I've had this conversation for years. I'd invite people to church. Oh, no, I already go over here to such and such place. I'll share this story. I went door-to-door -door visitation. This was years ago. A little girl had filled out a card. She had visited our church. I didn't fill it out. I didn't even know her. I knocked on the door, and the man comes out to the, to the door. And I said, yeah, I'm here to see uh, Christy. She filled out a card. I'd like to talk to her about church. She visited our church. He said, she didn't visit your church. Well, somebody said that that was her name, and this is where they live. I'm sorry. Someone must have filled it out for her. I said, okay, do you go to church? Oh, yeah, we go to church. I said, where do you go? And he goes, no lie. He goes, okay. what's the name of that church we go to, honey? You ain't going to church if you don't even know the name. Now, if they know the name, if you're inviting somebody to church and they know the name of church, you don't even have to know the answer to the question. But here's a good question. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that church. What's that preacher's name? <laughs> Amen. They don't know that either. Okay, listen, if you want to know the will of God in your life, you can learn it by watching the working of God in the local church. 
Attending church once every three months is not, is not interested in learning the will of God. You've got to be in a place where you can observe God's working. You've got to be listening to the Holy Spirit for God's ways. You've got to surround yourself with the wisdom of godly counsel, and you've got to be in his word so you'll know his will for your life. It is the perfect will of God. Now, that's his umbrella will. That's the big picture for you, for me, for all of us, for the whole, all of the universe. Now, God being sovereign, he does this thing now. He provides inside the parameters of his perfect will a thing that I will call his permissive will. While never sacrificing or relinquishing or weakening his sovereign will, he allows and permits a permissive will that where people can exercise liberty and freedom and choice. Okay, now God allows this free will or choice and failure to all of humanity. He allows that. That's his permissive will. He, all, while maintaining his perfect will as a whole and never losing its strength, he permits and allows a permissive will to the part. And that's where we come in. Because boy, are we good at exercising our Free will. Are we good at jumping in the boat on permissive will? God, you're great. Oh, you don't want me to do that? Well, in this case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway. We're good at that. It's a strong suit. And I know you think your spouse has it. I got news for you. Your spouse know you have it. You think your children have it? Your children know you have it. It's who we are. It's our flesh nature. And we all battle this thing. C.S. Lewis said this about God's permissive will. It's, it's big. His per, it's not as big as his perfect will. It's big though. It's extended into the heavenly realm, the angelic realm, and it's extended into the human realm. Okay? All, all of his created beings ha have access to his permissive will to do what we're not supposed to do, to do the things that don't align with his perfect will. Listen, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the sin both of men and of angels was rendered possible by the fact that God gave us free will. So, back to the original question. Doesn't it seem like it would be a better place to live and God could have done a better job if he just wouldn't have created the devil, right? Well, I've already told you, he didn't create the devil. God created an angel, and his name was Lucifer. Now, listen to the permissive will in the angelic realm, and then you'll see how it lines up and why uh, permissive will in the human realm is so We'll, we'll, we'll understand why things sometimes are so difficult. In Ezekiel chapter 28, 15, Scripture says this about Lucifer. It says, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. So Lucifer is a created being. God created him. What does it say? Blameless. God created him beautiful and perfect. God created him with a particular part of his perfect will. But then listen what it says. Until unrighteousness was found in you. God didn't place unrighteousness in him. He chose. He, he extended a permissive will to Lucifer and he accepted. And he walked away from his original perfect estate. Now listen, just a couple of verses later, Ezekiel 28, 17. Your heart then was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. He had this wisdom inside of him. God had placed, while he was in, in his, God's perfect will estate, he extended his permissive will, and Lucifer took it. He says, I'm, I'm in. I like my beauty. I like my splendor. I like me, God, more than I like you. You can find that in Ezekiel, the five great I wills. I will ascend. I will. I will. I will. God said, no, you won't. And so we find out that God extends a permissive will to the angelic realm. Listen how it plays out in a bigger picture. Revelation 12, verse 7 through 9, it says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael, who is the good and godly, perfect will, powerful angel, and his angels, so he's got angels, fighting against the dragon. Who's the dragon? Lucifer, who becomes Satan, the devil, the dragon. Okay? Now it says, and the dragon and his angels, so there's another group of angels, kind of, we'll talk about it in a second, fought back. But he, the dragon, and his angels, they were defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. 
And the great dragon was thrown down, and the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, there it is, the deceiver of the whole world, the father of lies, New Testament tells us, the Gospels tell us, he was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So here it is. God created the angelic realm. Many, many, many myriads, Scripture says, of angelic beings. One of them, who was, uh, who was a very gifted angel, Scripture tells us in another place, um, he rose up to, to a coup, if you will, an angelic coup. And he took some angels, convinced some angels that he had a better plan than God. And so there arose this uh, war, this battle, and Satan and the angels he convinced were cast to this earth. Now, Jude chapter 1, verse 6, listen, it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. You, do you hear it? Their original state, the, the way God created them as, as in his perfect will, they didn't stay with that. They exited that and they pursued their own dwelling. And he has kept in eternal chains until, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, so how many angels are there? And how many demons now, fallen angels, are there? We don't know a total number, but this much we know. It says in Revelation 12, 4, His, the dragon's tail, swept down a third of the stars of heaven, those are angels, and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Revelation 12, 4 says that, that Lucifer who becomes Satan, the dragon, the devil, his tail, his, his impact swept a third of the angels and they were cast to this earth. Some are in bondage, but many of them are roam this world. They're the ones that cause you so much grief. They're the ones that watch your life and your choices and your proclivities and your preferences and that's the way they design the temptations to get you to fall and to fail and to move further away from God. How many are there? There's a third of all of the angelic realm. Now, that's a little creepy, right? A third of them. Oh my, <laughs> do your math. That means two-thirds are still angelic. Two to one, we win. We forget that sometimes. The Bible says there is therefore no, no, now no temptation taken you but such as is common to all men, but God is faithful and he will make a way of escape. So when those demons bring temptations into our life, orchestrated for our failure and our fall, there's a way of escape. And every time there's a demon... There's angels fighting on your behalf. You don't have to lose. You choose to lose. And if there was no angelic realm, no demons, no angels, God is always sovereign, large, and in charge. And he loves you unendingly. He loves you. And so we learn that, that this is how the angelic realm exercised their permissive will. Now, let's look at the, the permissive will among the human realm for a second. And this will help us understand why we do what we do and why it's hard sometimes to figure out the will of God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Now the serpent, who's the serpent? The dragon. Who's the dragon? The devil. Who's the devil? Satan. Who is this before he fell from heaven? Lucifer. It says, The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, when the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was, man, it was good for food, it was attractive to the eye and it was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. God in his sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient uh, nature had this, has this perfect will that never changes. And underneath it, there's a, there's a dome where we have a permissive will to choose. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They communed with him. They lived they were not products of their, uh, of their circumstances, of their environment. They lived in a perfect garden and walked with God. But in the permissive will of God that was extended to them, they chose to, to disobey God and listen to the serpent. Now they become naked, they hide in the garden, and their relationship with God is on a downward path, okay? 
I mean, it's terrible. And all of us are products of that one moment in time when the garden of perfection became the garden of failure. That sin curse transferred genetically to every human being that would ever walk on the planet. It includes you and it includes your preacher. It's our flesh sin nature. Now listen, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you. I have set before you. God says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. The permissive will, God encourages, challenges us. Listen, I'm giving you permission to, to, to fail, to follow the fraud and the fake. But I'm telling you, I'm setting before you blessing and curses, and you get to choose. It's on you. It's on me. It's our choice. He says, therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, and he is your life and the length of your days. Galatians 5.1 about our choices says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Now watch this. Every single person is in bondage to sin, cursed to die, both physically and spiritually forever. That's the product. That's the result of, 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 of sin. But Jesus steps in, which we'll talk about in a minute, and he sets us free from that, from the chains of being bound to our sin condition, breaks the chains from being bound to the, to the devil himself. He says, but then he says, stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It was your choice to get there. It was his choice to get you out. It's your choice whether or not you stay out. Isn't that wild? Now watch this. He extended his permissive will to the whole world. Angelic realm, heavenly realm, human realm. He extended his permissive will to his very own son. Before Jesus was crucified, he's in the garden praying. And he says in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, this is Jesus speaking, praying to, to his father. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus even had a choice. And he chose you. And he chose me. He chose going through the pain and the suffering and the separation from his father to rescue us from our broken, sinful condition. Uh, sometimes today we'll, we'll hear this expression. You know, somebody will mess up. They'll hit something or whatever, and boy, they were going big. And you, what do you say? <laughs> go big or go home, right? God did that. God went big or went home. Listen, when you look at it as a summary of the permissive will of God under the perfect will of God, listen what he allowed. And he knew it because he knows past, present, and future as if it's in the moment because he's outside the time continuum. And listen what he allowed. God allowed the antithesis or opposite of perfection to rise up. God's permissive will allowed the fall of Lucifer and his ability to sweep a third of the angels out of the angelic realm, realm into the demonic realm. God's permissive will allows Satan to become the nemesis to Jesus and to all of mankind. God's permissive will allows man to choose to listen to Satan's lies. God's permissive will chooses to allow every single human being to be under a sin curse. God's permissive will allows Satan to steal the title deed to this world. God's permissive will allows evil to run its full course. God's permissive will allows for the result of that to be the penalty of death to all people. And yet it's in the middle of the calamity and the chaos that is the direct result of our terrible choice under his permissive will that God's perfect will still reigns because the story of God's will is not yet over. It could have been, but why did we say God, what, what did we say God's ultimate aim and goal is? His personal glory. And at that point, all that he created, that he said it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good, 
Now all of a sudden, there's no good in it. Where's the glory in that? <laughs> Part three. Here's the glory. The provisional will of God. It is into the, this heart of need from the garden to now. It's never changed. The heart of the need that God's provisional will is now extended. It, it's into that place where there seems like there's no way out, no hope, no help, no future. That God intervenes. And God offers life, liberty, promise, hope, restoration, and redemption to the whole thing. Perfect will of God. Provision, provisional will of God, we fail. Excuse me, permissive will of God, we fail. Provisional will of God. God's getting ready to shine and his glory is getting ready to be magnified. Genesis 3.15. Right after they fall, God's walking in the garden. He comes to Adam and Eve. He knows where they are. He says, where are you guys? And they say, we're hiding in the bushes because we're naked. Okay? God wasn't looking for a revelation about where they were. He's looking for a confession of the heart. And the, and, and the confession of, of, of what they had done. He knew where they were. But in that moment, after he addresses them, this is what he says. In Genesis 3.15, God says, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the dragon, the serpent. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between you and your offspring and her offspring. Are you ready? And he, God says, my offspring, he will crush your head. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And then he says, and you will strike his heel. God says in Genesis 3.15, the first prophetic word of his provisional will for, uh, for the sin of man. He says, I'm sending somebody and you're going to strike at his heel on the cross. But on the third day, he's going to crush that nasty head. That lying, pitiful, fallen, fake, fraud head of yours, he's crushing it. And that's what's going to happen. I just like that. Because I hate the devil. I hope you hate him. If you don't, we need to pray for you. I just like that. It's so strong. God says, that I'm allowing this to happen. But my perfect will will reveal my glory in the end. The provisional will of God. It's spoken of in Genesis 3. We find in John 3, 16, the provisional will of God. You know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. His provisional will. For those of us caught under his permissive will. Romans 6, uh, 5, 6, and 8 says provisional will. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us that in, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You get that? While we were under the penalty of our choice, under his permissive will, his, still, his overarching perfect will is still at play, and it's into that that he sends his provision. While we're still sinners, while we're still hopeless, while we're still death and hell bound, that's when his provision at the right time, Jesus shows up to die in our place. That's what the provisional will of God looks like because that's another part of his perfect will. 1 John 3, 8 says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus left his perfect estate and the perfection and splendor and bliss and glory of heaven, the reason he came to this earth right here. He says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There's his provision. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. Provisional will of God. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
his provisional will. He's patient, always encouraging, inviting, extending himself in our direction. And Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. The perfect will of God allows a permissive will of God and we choose to rebel and find ourselves in a lost condition and that's when his provision shows up. But it doesn't stop there. You see, there is an ideology, a theology, a philosophy or whatever called universalism. That in the end, God's sovereignty reigns and he's provided this provision and in the end, we all go to heaven. Unfortunately, that's not what scripture says. He, he extends his provisional will. But here's the thing. How does his provision get applied to our life? I'll call that the prescriptive will of God. He's told us now this whole story. He's unpacked who he is, how much he loves us, how we're fallen, how he's provided. Now what do we do with that? This is where it gets good. Maybe you hadn't heard anything I said. I want you to listen to this part. The prescriptive will of God. God now says you need a physician. You need a spiritual healing in your life. And it's into our terminal mess. Terminal. Our spiritual disease. Our corruption that God's provision extends through the great physician. Jesus, the great physician, when he walked upon this earth, he demonstrated his nature and his power and his love. In Matthew 9, the great physician healed a blind man. In Mark 7, the great physician healed a deaf mute. In John 5, the great physician healed a lame man. In Mark 1, the great physician healed a leper. In Luke 4, the great physician uh, healed a demon-possessed man. And in John 11, the great physician raised the dead. All of those are physical healings only given to point to a greater healing. Only given to let you know. That authenticated the fact that he was God in the flesh here on this earth for you and for me. Because there would be a day coming when Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection would extend spiritual, eternal healing. You see, Lazarus, that's a cool story. Dead, stinky dead. That's what the Bible says. Stinky dead. Jesus shows up a little late, don't you think? Jesus heals him, resurrects him from the dead. Brings him back. He said, wouldn't that be cool? You're dead one day, raised from the dead next day. That's kind of partial thinking. Do you realize he had to die again? Only thing, everybody, everybody's afraid of death. Only thing worse than dying once is dying twice, right? He had to go through it again. You see, Jesus now extends his provision at a much, much deeper level. He reaches past the sickness, the affliction, the hurt, the heartache, the things of this world, the things outside in our flesh. He reaches into the corruptness of our soul, into the curse of our eternal being. He reaches into that and he prescribes like only a great physician can healing in our life. Probably all of us have been to the doctor. Probably amidst this world of confusion we've lived in, we've been to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a prescription or six. And I want you to take you down to the pharmacy and spend about $250. And then when you get home, I want you to read the label on that bottle. And I want you to do what that bottle says. Now, I'm going to tell you if, you, if you've come to me and I've told you what to do, and I've given you a prescription, and you take it home and you don't do what it says, don't come back next week and ask me why things aren't better. It's the same with the great physician. You see, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it says, When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are healthy don't need a physician. But those who are sick do. I have come to call, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. All right? Now, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus begins the prescription. On the bottle, it says, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Prescription one. Then we look on down on the prescription label, and we find Mark 16, 16 for our spiritual healing. And it says, the one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. And, and then we, we keep reading, and we read verse after verse of prescription that God extends it, but he does not force his provision on us. You and I, every single human being must come to a place where they realize I am the spiritually sick. I do need the great spiritual healer. I receive your provision for me. I want to take it into and onto my life. So how do we do that? It's not that hard. God knows you. He knows how confused you might be in some areas, but he knows how to get to the point of your spiritual condition. All we have to do, first of all, is recognize our need. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look at the person next to you and just give them a head nod because I'm talking about them. All of us have sinned. There's no exception. Jesus is the only exception. And, and so we have to recognize I have a need. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I, I didn't come for the people who's got a whole list of good things that they can tell you they did, and that's why they're going to heaven when they die. That was the religious people. Jesus said, I didn't come for them. I came for the spiritually sick. I came for the people who know their sinful condition, and that's all of us. Number two, we have to respond to his invitation. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. We have to respond. We have to go into that provision. Give ourselves into that provision that he's extended to us. And lastly, then, we have to receive his instructions about salvation. 1 John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9, 9 and 10 says, because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus now is our Lord and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. It's a prescription that we have to receive into our life. And so it's in this moment now that I share the gospel every Sunday. Why? Because about 50 years ago, just like you're sitting here today, I was sitting in a church and a preacher showed up that I do not know his name. I couldn't tell you what he looked like. I can't tell you what he was wearing. I can't tell you what he preached. But I can tell you that he, in, he shared with me God's provision and he told me what the prescription was. And as a 10-year-old boy, confused, disoriented, I took the prescription. I invited Jesus. I received his grace gift in my life. And I am eternally changed. And in this room today, many of us have taken the prescription. But the truth is, there's many who have religious ideas about our own goodness. We've never really realized how badly we needed Jesus to come from heaven and hang on a cross on our behalf. And sometimes I say, and sometimes other people say, this is the moment where we bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm not asking you that. Because what God does in your heart and what God wants to do with your eternity needs to be wide awake, heads up. And I'm telling you, I'm asking you today, if you're not certain about your salvation, if you don't know with absolute certainty that if the Lord Jesus returned today or if something takes your life today, that you would be ushered into the presence of Jesus, your Savior, for all of eternity. If you're uncertain about that, it may be because you're backslidden. It may be because you're lost. It may be God's Holy Spirit inviting you to receive his provision for your life. And if that's you, just own your condition before God. God, I know I'm a sinner. I've played around with religion. 
I've considered you. I know things about you. But at the end of this moment, I don't have a peace about my eternity. God, I want a peace. I believe you made a provision for me. I believe now that I'm part of your perfect will. God, I'm, I want to take the prescription into my life. I want you to save me on this day. He'll save you. That's all he's looking for. And so many of us would say today, well, I've already done that. How does that align? Because if you're lost, there is no greater will of God for your life. There is no will of God that you need to know except the fact that he loves you, he died for you, and he wants to save you, and he wants you to be his child forever. That's his will. His beginning foundational will is your salvation. And maybe for those of us who are saved, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that God's will is this for your life. The great commandment. You just love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know the, what the will is for you as a Christian? Love God with everything you have, everything you are, and love other people the same. You know what the will of God is for your life? The great commission to go out into the world and make disciples of other people. You want to know what his will is? His will is to go into the highways and byways, compelling them to come that his house may be full. I have a confession. My prayer from God for 2022 2022 is a lot of twos in there the expression I use is double down I'm doubling down on my calling and my commitment to this church and to this community and to my family and to God I'm praying that God doubles down on his blessing here at this church I'm praying that he literally doubles our attendance in 2022 I'm praying that the seats beside you that are empty I'm praying that they're full by the end of 2022 I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, and I'm inviting you to do the same. What is your part in that? You're a Christian. Just do God's will for your life. Tell people about Jesus. Love God with everything you have and invite and compel people to come to this place. That's God's will for your life. Listen to me. If you forego that, why would we think that God would tell us a will that's not clear in Scripture when we're not being obedient to the will that is clear in Scripture. Right? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and, and, and you need to receive Jesus into your life, this is the moment that changes your eternal destiny. This is the moment that changes all of your past, all of your present, and all of your future. This is the moment when the God of the universe comes into your life and rescues you from you. This is the moment when the perfection of Christ is given in exchange for the corruptness of yourself. How's that happen? You simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe Jesus is my provision. Jesus is my hope. Jesus has been extended to me. I want Jesus to come into my life. I want Jesus Christ to save me from my sinful condition. I want Jesus to radically trans, uh, transfer my life into a great and glorious life for you. I want your Holy Spirit to come in and to lead me and help me live for you from this day forward. I'm not playing any more games, God. I give myself fully and freely to you. And for the rest of us, our prayer is simply this. God, I want to be obedient to your will. Just like we saw last week, Paul said, Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? I've shared three things that you can do and to conform to the will of God. Father, we give you this moment. We give you this time. God, I pray that you would save people today. I pray, God, that for some that are saved, you would give them revival, that your Holy Spirit would be stirred within them, and, God, that you would ignite them for you once again. God, I pray as a church that you will use us and that we will conform to your will. And, God, I thank you for the blessings that you've given us in the past. But, God, I, I, I go ahead. I'm going to praise you for the blessings you're sending in the future. Help us one by one and corporately to live according to the will of you upon our life and upon our church, we're asking you to do a greater thing in our presence so we will have more and more to celebrate and more and more to talk about moving forward. And God, for those that may be saved today, let them know that they can come this morning to this altar with a simple prayer of commitment to you 
and you will change them forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.